If you have your Bibles tonight and you'll read along with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading, I think, um, in verse 5 of our scripture reading tonight. <clears throat> Pray for me this evening that the Lord will just help me to say what he would like said and then to be quiet whenever I need to. 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says this. <clears throat> but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provo provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept, did not eat. Then said Elkna, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then... I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of me. And she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went with her way, excuse me, so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And that'll conclude our reading uh, tonight. It's reading First Samuel chap chapter one, verses five through nineteen. And tonight, I would like to title our message: "God sees your heart." God sees your heart. Now, I want to indicate what I mean by that. Sometimes we, when we make a statement like that, we're trying to contrast it 
to what we think or what we act like God sees. So we'll say something from later in this book, the 16th chapter, God looks not on the outward appearance as man seeth, but God seeth the heart. And so we're trying to contrast the difference between looking the outside and looking the inside. And I don't mean it in that sense tonight. I don't mean it in the sense that sometimes we do when we're hiding something in our heart. Where we put on a facade, we put on something that may appear a certain way, whether it be righteousness, whether it be to get sympathy from people, whether we have sin that we're disguising and hiding, but in our heart there's a great... I don't mean it to say, well, you better be careful, God sees your heart. I don't mean it that way tonight. I mean it in the encouraging sense. God sees your heart this week. Or in other words, I believe many people in this room have had their heart in the right place. And God sees it. God sees our hearts. Like, take off all the ways that we feel in the flesh. Take all the the, the flashes of thoughts that perhaps we've had laboring for so long. Throw all that out the window for just a moment. And recognize God sees your heart. Lost friend, I tell you the same thing. I've seen lost people in what is perceivably many different conditions of heart. Now, again, I want to tread very lightly here because ultimately we can't see the heart, but we can see the fruit that is derived from the root. And so at times, I believe we we can know somebody's heart because they tell us. Their countenance, their words, their actions are often a a witness or a testimony to what is in their heart. And when you know the gospel has been preached and God's people feel His Spirit in a powerful way and we know as we have felt for many nights that God is in our presence and then there are times where lost people stand and won't move, you know they have a hardened heart. Or I think we can safely assume that. No different than a person back during Moses' time could assume about Pharaoh. God is demonstrating himself powerful. God is doing signs and people are experiencing things they have never experienced before. And yet, he hardens his heart. So there are times where we can get a glimpse into people's hearts. And I'll say this week and last week, I've been encouraged because I think many of you lost people have the right heart. And that's so uncommon anymore. Like usually it's the battering ram, you know? You get out the battering ram every night as the evangelist and you get out the battering ram as the preacher and you just 
batter and you beat and you beat and you beat and pray that God would take it and do what you can't do and that he would break a heart because there's a culture that has developed amongst our churches over the last 30 or 40 years that rather than what we heard earlier in this week's revival where people would get saved, I think it was Sister Mabel that said, you know, when people would seek the Lord, then every time they came in the church house, they'd sit up front on the altar and it was a sign or it was a demonstration that I want to be saved. And so I'm going to come right back up here, right where I left off. And when the preacher gets done, many people would bow their hearts in prayer and go after him. And yet the culture that has existed for a number of years, at least throughout my lifetime, and I think even preceding that, is there is this refusal. There is this stubbornness and this pride. I'm going to white knuckle the bench and I'm not going to move. And praise the Lord, it hasn't been here the last couple of weeks. And so, lost friend, I come to you today in some sympathy. And we have heard speckles of testimony now for two weeks of people saying, I remember so well being so frustrated that I didn't get saved. And they're giving you this testimony of not condemnation, although, yes, you're still lost in your sins. And yes, there's still an obstacle, as we talked a couple nights ago. And perhaps you know what it is, and perhaps you don't. But I think the demonstration of the last number of days have shown us a lot of you are saying, I'll do what I ordinarily don't do because I really want the Lord. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. And He knows. If coming to this bench is just a facade, it's just out of duty, out of obligation, he knows that. But I'm saying I trust that it's been with the right spirit and intention tonight. I trust that when you've come up here and we've said over and over, if you feel the Lord convicting you, come pray. And many of you have. And I want to rest assured tonight, I want to give you some encouragement from the Word of God both to those that are laboring and to those that are lost in saying, God sees your heart. I, I don't know of any, any story. This one, and perhaps it's because the stage I am in life, as well as Mary there in the book of Luke, just does something to my heart. Hannah and Mary are just such spiritual sisters in such a sense. You know, you read what they did, you read their, their, their attitude, you read their prayer after God has told them this very difficult thing or this blessed thing that he's going to do, both, really both at the same time is what he's telling them. And I read, I read them and my heart is just so uplifted whenever I read them. But we begin in chapter 1 of the book of 1 Samuel and we learn about this woman who is in deep sorrow and travail. That sounds familiar, church, doesn't it, this week? Have we not, one night, Sister Peggy called for all the ladies to come up, and did we not hear the sorrow? And then a couple nights later, unplanned, uncoordinated, unrequested, did we not hear another night? Whereas the men's voices drowned out, there the women's prayers echoed up of sorrow, of 
seeking, of prayer. Why was she sorrowful? Because she couldn't have a child. I've known women in my life that were like that. I know you have too. And perhaps you were one of those. Deep pain. Years of suffering. I think she had it worse than people do today, women do today, in this sense. She not only had that sorrow that would come naturally from such a condition, she had in that time the contention of polygamy. Her husband had another wife. But she wasn't sweet and kind, consoling. She provoked. She boasted of what she had and what Hannah didn't have. And it multiplied grievance and sorrow on top of sorrow on Hannah's heart. And so what does she do? What you ladies and what you gentlemen have done this week. She ran to the Lord. And she fell out prostrate before him. Listen to, what was it, verse 10? She goes into the temple and this is what it says. And she was in bitterness of soul. How, how beautifully descriptive. She wasn't in pain. She wasn't weeping. She was, she was in bitterness of soul. What deeper of an expression of sorrow could you find than that? And yet, it tells us that she went in. And in this bitterness of soul, notice what she doesn't do. She doesn't get angry with God. She doesn't. She doesn't accuse Him of anything. She doesn't say, Lord, look how hard I've begged. She doesn't say, Lord, I don't understand why. Why me? Why me? Why do I have to struggle with this when not only my friends, but the one living in my household who's unrighteous, who's provoking me? She's blessed. Remember what the psalmist said? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I was envious. Remember that in the 73rd Psalm? He saw the prosperity of the wicked and he couldn't understand it. He gets to the end and he sees all their prosperity. He says, when I thought of these things, it was too painful for me. And then verse 18 of Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then understood I their end. She doesn't levy her complaints and grievances at the Lord She doesn't sit there and bemoan her situation seeking sorrow from others. She does not go with the endless question why that never has an answer. But what does she do? She says, Lord, if you will answer my my request, I'll make a vow to you today. I'll promise you that if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. You know, I find that kind of funny in a way because our children are the Lord's. 
There is nothing that feels more mine than my children. And there is nothing that is less mine than my children. My children are the Lord's. And what if God sent one of them into the world to be a light for a moment, a flicker? We heard about a young girl down from Lafayette, and that's why God sent her, is to be a light for about two years. And then God said, she's mine. I'm going to take her. I've related it to the church, what now, three or four times? It's still Grace Keene. For 20 years, God said, my child, be a light. Now, you're mine. She takes and she says, Lord, this is it. And then we learn something about the Lord in verse 19. I'm not going to go through the whole story because I want to focus on what God saw. Eli saw something else. Eli saw her, and I think this is a really good lesson for us. Even sometimes godly spiritual people with good intentions don't always see what God sees. We try to, and I want to, but there are times when even striving in my own strength because of my weakness of flesh, because of the sinfulness of my heart, in every attempt to be right, I'm wrong. Eli sees, says, I think she's drunk. She wasn't. She was as far from that as you could possibly be. Isn't that funny? Like, think of, he wasn't just mistaken. He was way mistaken. Rather than being in the one place that nobody ought to ever be, she was in the one place where God wants everybody to be. God saw her. And look what it says in verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkna knew Hannah, his wife. And listen to this. And the Lord remembered Hannah. Tonight, my words to the church, to the laborers, to the fighters, to the ones who have been here every day. The Lord sees our hearts. We've said it once. Brother Eaton and I have said it a hundred times. Now is not the time to give up. So then what happens? Well, she gets pregnant. I'll tell you this. I'm not going to get... She didn't just get pregnant once. You know that, right? Isn't that awesome? Like God answered her prayer immediately, but guess what? God opened her room with five children. God blessed her in abundance. So he only didn't remember her once. He remembered her again and again and again and again. I I love that the Lord does that, you know. In moments of despair, it's like he says, watch this. (laughs) Like you think, you think I've dried up. You think I don't hear you. You think I don't care. You think you're thinking wrong. I hear and I see and I answer in abundance. That's what he does for her. Go and on your own time, read chapter two. Oh, the beautiful prayer of Hannah. Lord, give me a heart like Hannah's. You know what I love about it? 
10 verses she prays. Do you know how many times that she says, talks about the Lord? 18. You know what I love about that? It's not about her. It's not about her. You know, that's a good reminder to us as a church. These kids getting saved isn't about us. Do you know who it's about? Hold on. It's not even about them. You know who it's about? It's about the Lord. Brother Eaton, we've referenced it a couple times. Some of you referenced it a couple times. He wants to be Lord first and then Savior. And we want to put him there as Lord. And he deserves to be there, Lord. I, I so appreciated Brother Gerald's testimony last night. I love, I, my heart was just singing and he was saying he deserves all honor, all glory, all praise. He's so wonderful. He's so, he just kept going. I just want to keep going, brother, keep going. He's all of those things and he's so much more. And when God saves the soul, that soul is a beneficiary of his grace. But all the praise in heaven will be sung for a billion years or more over that salvation and the salvation of every saint that is there. And though we're the beneficiaries, all people will be crying out with a unified voice, worthy was the lamb that was slain to receive power and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When God saves a soul, it is to put himself upon the throne of the human heart where he belongs. That all people might bow down and worship who he is. I've seen this before. I've seen it where people are laboring in prayer for lost people. And they get saved. And they get up for a minute. And everybody's shouting and rejoicing. And then I've seen this and it's my favorite. Everybody falls back to the ground and they start praising him. It's one of those beautiful things you can ever see. Is people, they come to themselves and they're like, oh, this is so wonderful, but I don't want to just rejoice with you, Brother Eden. I want to rejoice with the Lord. That's what she does. And 18 times in that verse, she says, you're great. You're strength. You're wonderful. You're all those things. But here's the amazing part. She still had to give him back. She wasn't saying, oh man, I wish I never would have made that promise. She wasn't doing that. She was saying, you're so wonderful, Lord. You're so great, and I praise you for giving me this, son. That's what she does for the second chapter, and then she finally takes him after he's weaned, and she brings him to the Lord. I want to pause for just a moment in the message tonight and say, church, Let's be like Hannah. Let's be like Hannah. As we labor and when we reap, let's be like Hannah. Well, friend, I want to talk to you tonight for just a few moments because then we get into chapter three. And we learn about two men. And they're Eli the priest's sons. Now, Eli the priest's sons what were their names? Hophni and Phineas, I think, was their names. Hophni and Phineas was their names. And their job was to take over for their father Eli. This is a really important, you need to hear this. If you're lost, anybody, but if you're lost, you need to hear this tonight. Hophni and Phineas grew up in the temple. They grew up surrounded by their father, 
which in that time was the highest, closest religious figure to God of anybody else. And by all indications, Eli was a good man. He made mistakes. But I think in a lot of ways, he he did try, even though he, he wasn't perfect. And they begin to tread upon the grace of God. You know, I, this is my opinion. I think when we get to heaven, what we're going to learn is that we were the single most blessed people in the history of the world. I really do think that. Like you and me. I'm not saying, I'm, not, I'm saying me and you right here, me and you, are the single most blessed people in the history of the world. What don't we have? Like what, what don't we have when compared to everybody else that's ever lived. You want prosperity? We have it. You want comfort? We have it. You want healing from sickness? We have it. Okay, Brother Brad, that's just the physical things. Okay, let's talk about the spiritual things because we're more blessed spiritually than what we are physically. We have this advantage. All of us do. Those of us that have come in contact with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Not one that has been marred and diluted by institutions calling themselves churches that have either intentionally or unintentionally mixed deceit with truth. And praise God, God can at times work in the heart despite the deceit, despite the falsehood, despite every attempt by man to to deceive people or every attempt to push forward their agenda. Praise God that God is not limited by man, but that when when a person in those churches, in those institutions, have a humble heart and really come out to God, humbly seeking him and call out to him and seek after him, God will save those people. And very often those people, even though they've been saved, stay a part of those institutions ignorantly, not knowing where to go. And they go the entirety of their life worshiping in a way that is not necessarily wrong, but is incomplete. And so because their worship is incomplete, The grace bestowed and the blessings bestowed and the spiritual life is not able to be enjoyed in all of its fullness. And I praise God that God saves them. But I lament that they don't have the full expression that you and I can have. Like, I can rejoice in my salvation with knowledge. Have you not met many people? Brother Justin Ferris is here tonight. I begin to think of a friend of ours, Brother Jeremy Ritchie. You think of him. You know, he, he got saved, but he didn't know what happened. And so it's, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine being in that position, you know, where like, I know something happened, and I believe it was for him, wasn't it in the shower? I think it was in the shower. You know, he struggled with a lot of things of the world. I'm not going to tell his story, but he struggled with a lot of things in the world before he got saved. And then God saved him. And he continued walking in darkness. But man, something happened in my shower that day. And so he could feel a sense of freedom and peace, but because he couldn't understand it, like he couldn't complete it, you know? Like it couldn't be a fullness to it. And then he met a person who was having their own struggles but knew the truth. 
And they were at this church service. And they were calling people, there were all these, um, I'll just tell you, all these alcoholics, all Alcoholics Anonymous, basically. Right? And they were all coming forward, and the preacher was just reading them the prayer. And yet this one young man, Jamie Ritchie, man, he just seemed so distraught and sincere. And so this, this Christian, this broken Christian, having problems of his own, says, I believe I know what you're looking for. Forget that stuff where you just repeat a prayer. Come and follow me and let's talk. And begin to tell him about true heartfelt salvation. And Jeremy speaks up and says, you know, when I, when I was a younger man, I was in the shower one day. And then as the fullness of what God had done came to him, finally the joy and rejoicing of what God had done and what he was assured of in eternity came full, full over. Right? I say all that to say we are a eminently blessed people. So then what happens? Lost? Saved? When that thing God gave us, the most valuable thing you could ever have in this life, exposure to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the most valuable thing God could ever give you, this side of salvation, you say, eh. You know, one thing, um, rich kids, you know what I'm talking about? Like kids who grow up with money, a whole lot of money. And, I, you know, I went to high school with a couple kids like that where like, they didn't realize the value of a dollar. But we were poor growing up, and so I did. And I, I realized, like, man, so if somebody would go and buy me a candy bar, I was, like, super excited <laughs> because I didn't get them. Right? And yet I remember going over to one of my friend's houses, and they had a, a drawer in their house called the junk drawer. We have a junk drawer. It's full of pens and paper clips and, and uh, just random stuff. I don't really want anybody to see, but I don't know where to put, so I throw it in there. Right? You know what they had in there? 20s. What a junk drawer, <laughs> right? And so at any time, if we were hanging out at his house and we were playing games, he could just order a pizza. I was like, man, that is awesome. And so I went over to Adam's, about Adam's house a lot for a while, right? But then I remember the first time I'd been around him so much and his dad wouldn't give him something. And man, he pouted up a storm, pitched a big old fit. And I was, he was such a bad fit, I was embarrassed by it. And I thought, dude, like, you don't understand what you have. Your dad's denying you this luxury upon luxury. I'll take the crumbs from your table, he didn't realize it because that's all he'd ever known. I would suggest to you tonight, if you're here and you're lost, you don't realize what you have here. I don't say that in stark condemnation. I say that in instruction. I mean, you don't realize what you've got. Like this week, you know, here's the, the thing that's been so wonderful. Not only are you sitting here with the truth being preached, it hasn't been preached in an empty fashion. Like the Lord's help brother Eaton. Like I felt the Lord in some of the messages that I've tried to deliver. Like the Lord has been here. So it's, and then 
when we get done and sit down, guess what? God starts saying, you get up, and you get up, and you get up, and you get up. And then guess what? They do. That in and of itself is super rare. Many children grow up in a missionary Baptist church for decades, not sitting in services like what we've been in. Just because we even sit and hear the truth doesn't mean it's going to be so anointed with the power of the Spirit that you can feel it in a very real sense. And yet, we have. But then, again, I just, I got to keep going here. We didn't just get it once this week, you know? It's not like we are going to look back on this revival and say, you remember the first Friday night? That was so good. Or you remember those two services? We're not going to say that. You know what I'm going to say? It was amazing that God's people followed him every single night. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, I'm not going to turn and read it to you. But he talks, well, I'm going to turn it because I don't want to misquote it. I don't want to make the mistake here of saying what it isn't. It's a very short scripture text, if I can find it real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to this verse closely if I can find which one it is here. Okay, here we are. Verse 26, it says this. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Whoa, hear that? For if we sin willfully after we received the knowledge of the truth. You've received the knowledge of the truth this week, not from Brother Hicks and Brother Eaton, from the Lord. You've received it in many fashions. Hebrews 10, 26. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which devour the adversaries. Go down to verse 29. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done, done despite unto the Spirit of grace. A lot going on in those verses and I'm not going to get to them all in all of it, but here's what he's saying. What's going to happen to those people like us who when God delivers his spirit, God delivers the power of the gospel to your heart. He gives us everything that we need in abundance. And we just walk all over it in disregard. He says nothing short than judgment and fiery indignation. Romans, uh, what is it, chapter 3, verse, verse 1 and 2. What does it say? It says... Uh, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or to what advantage is there of circumcision? Much every way. Because the oracles of God was committed unto them. What does that mean? He's saying, do the Jews have an advantage over Gentiles being saved? Absolutely they do. There's an advantage. Why? Because God himself delivered the law delivered the prophets, delivered everything right to them. And if they reject him, they stand in greater condemnation. Tonight, lost friend, Hophni and Phineas was given to them, right, right to them. Everything they could ever need, 
everything they could ever want. God gave it to them on a silver platter. And they neglected it. They neglected it. Good lesson here for us parents. What did Eli do? He, he watched it go on. He saw it go on. He didn't correct them. And his lack of correction left to enabling. And just like sin, it caused him to go further and further and further in it. And guess what they began to do? Hurt more and more and more people because of it. Go back and read it for yourself. It's in chapter 3. I won't tell you the way they did it, but it's more and more people. But praise God for Hannah's prayer. Because there was a young boy not from the Levitical line. Let me translate. He didn't have the same advantages. But he had a mom who prayed. Who begged and begged and begged and begged. And then that mom not only begged, but when God answered, she delivered. And she said, Lord... This child is not mine. He is yours. There is this duality of, as Christians we have to bear. One, we got to carry a heavy burden for our children. And we got to take it to the Lord. And we got to really carry it. What do you say? Push, pull? What do you say, Brother Eaton? Something like that. We got to pull, right? We really got we to we really pray. But we got to stop beyond the point that it will lead us to despair. Because ultimately, it's not up to us. It's up to the Lord. So we pray as hard as we can, and then we say, Lord, they're in your hands. They're in your hands. Let me, let me tell you something. They're in safe hands. Because when she put them in the hands of the Lord, <clears throat> God said, thank you. I'll make good use of him. And you know what God did? Made the most incredible use of that man than Hannah's heart could have ever imagined. I mean, do you think when she went and gave him back to the Lord that she thought, one day he's going to be the high priest. One day when the judge's period is over and we have a king in Israel, he is going to anoint the first king. Do you think that he thought that she thought while she was giving him to the Lord, one day there's going to be a great king sitting upon the throne of Israel and his name's going to be David and my son is going to be led by God to the town of Bethlehem so that he can anoint perhaps one of the best symbols in all of Scripture of the coming Messiah, David. That he will anoint him as king. Do you think that she thought that one day her son would, and I don't understand this, be brought back from heaven by the witch at Endor to prophesy to King Saul. Of course, she didn't think any of those things. But here's what she knew. I serve a powerful God in heaven who can do more than what I could imagine. If I give him to the Lord, the Lord will do more than what I ever could for that young man. And so, Lord, take him. And then when that young man had a humble heart, and as Brother Riddle said a couple weeks ago, and as he was telling us about that young same boy, and he was crying out, or that rather the Lord was speaking to that young man in the temple, and he was calling his name, and time after time he went to Eli the priest, and 
And finally on the fourth occasion, there he said, Lord, here am I, speak to me. And then God spoke to his heart and he found salvation. And that began the journey of him responding over and over to God's call. And what a life that Samuel lived. Lost friend tonight, here's what I want to put before you. Just as he sees your parents' hearts, and I believe they've been in the right place, he sees your heart. Here's the thing about the human heart. It can change just like that. It can change real quick. It's not a static thing. You can have a humble heart. You can really be seeking after the Lord. You can determine like, like, like Samuel did. You know, I want to I be in the temple. I want to serve God. I want to be honest. I want to be upright. I don't want let the influence of Hophni and Phinehas to reach upon me. I don't want any of that. And then in but a moment, it can completely change. Why? Because we have an adversary who's speaking words of bitterness and anger and questioning God, who is, as we spoke a few nights ago, defaming God's character, and he's shooting at us, and he's shooting at us, and he's shooting at us incessantly. And sometimes when those arrows get through and it plants a poison within us and we begin to doubt God and our heart begins to change and we begin to transition from having a humble, sincere heart to having one that is saying, God, why won't you save me? God, you don't want to save me. I'm never going to get saved. All this is useless. Salvation's probably not even real. These people are all crazy. I don't, they don't know what they're talking about. God's probably not even real. In just a moment, everything can change in your heart. Don't let it. Don't let it. Here's the thing, you can't stop it. I mean, really. Like, the heart is deceitfully, deceitful and wicked. Above all things, who can know it? What was it? Um, I, I can't remember the 120, no. I don't remember what scripture it is. It's uh, 139 Psalms. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any evil way in me. The psalmist didn't even know his own heart. Lost friend tonight, you may have some sin in your heart. Maybe the seeds of bitterness because you haven't been saved yet have slowly been planted night after night as you've sought the Lord. Isn't that amazing how Satan can work in us? He can take something that we're trying to do for good and turn it against us. And so you have Samuel's heart. One that just wants to do right. God saves him. You know, it tells us in, in chapter 4, he wasn't saved when God spoke to him. He didn't know the Lord first. But he has this heart that's saying, Lord, here am I. I want you. Hophni and Phinehas, I'm going to close with this. Hophni and Phinehas, they died. And their memories now are like a, I don't even say a proverb. Preachers for thousands of years has used them as an example of a godly parent who won't discipline their children in a godly way. And they have become a proverb for the millions because of their heart. Lost friend tonight, if you have a heart that really wants to be saved and God is drawing you, God sees your heart. Keep seeking him. The very first night, Brother Eaton told us, Sister Ashley, get for us a song. He told us, when we travail, and he went all into the explanation of that whole parallel and what it's like. And the amazing thing, 
is all the stories, and not that there wasn't real pain, but its culmination is not in the pain. It's in what comes after. Every woman, that's the culmination of it. And then I saw my child. Tonight, as hard as it for you to believe right now, when you get saved, and I believe you will, this is my, I, I believe, I do, I trust the Lord that he'll save you if you keep seeking him. When he does, you know, there's a lot of things about my testimony I've just forgot. Like, I don't remember what clothes I was wearing that day. I don't remember what the preacher preached. I don't remember who was there. I, don't, I, I have these vague details. You know, as hard as it is for you to believe right now, I, I, I spent the longest time I couldn't remember how long I was lost. And finally, I, I got real sick. I, I want to figure this out. And I was lost for a year and a half. I can't tell you how many times I sought the Lord. I can't tell you how many revivals I got drugged to and I sought at all these different altars. I, I don't know. But in the moment, if you'd have told me 20 years from now, you won't even remember any of this because of how great what you got was. I say, you're crazy. You know, the great thing about salvation, lost friend, is that there's going to come a day after God saves you that you've been saved for so long, you'll look back and all the sorrow that you've experienced, you'll forget about it. You'll remember vague parts of it, but just like that woman in travail, and then your mom or your dad will remind you, now hold on a second, I cried an awful lot for you. <laughs> right? They'll have to remind you of the sorrow and the pain that you went through. But in this moment, lost friend, God sees your heart. If you really in your heart want him, don't give up. Don't give up. This altar is open. Come and seek him today.